Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position along with your favorite beverage to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion today, we wanna to say thanks for questions coming from our audience of Smith Weekly, including Cindy W, Gordon S, Paul M, and Mike P. New guest on the program today, Jason Bagg has joined us. Jason is the president and CEO of Puranium Energy, a Namibian-focused uranium exploration company that is seeking to discover calcrete paleochannel type uranium deposits, as well as hard rock deposits in the uranium district of Namibia. Puranium is in a unique position, being one of two small junior explorers in Namibia that are pure play exploration only. The company is listed on the Canadian Securities Exchange under the symbol UX and is also seeking to obtain a US OTC markets listing in the near future. Jason, good to have you on the program. Welcome. Thanks very much for having me, Andrew. Well, Jason, you are new to the program, so why don't we start off here with your background and experience in this charming junior natural resource sector? <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, yeah, just yeah, give a little bit of background myself. I've been doing various work in the junior mining sector for about 20 years now. Much of that experience is with, especially in junior microcap company startups, all within a corporate development kind of position. On the capital market side, finance side, I was an investment advisor for Royal Bank of Canada and a trader for Scotia Capital. We started work on forming Puranium Energy going back to mid-2021. Jason, I appreciate that. And it is a new company, and I think it's new to a lot of the folks that have been in this sector. I do want to get to Puranium in a moment, Jason, but first... How do you look at the uranium market here at this point in terms of just you know current events and fundamentals? What are your thoughts on the sector? Good question, Andrew. Uh, you know, like, I'd like to walk you through a number of issues that I think is worth pointing out. I think we're in an earlier stages of a uranium bull market that's taken much of the last decade to develop out. That's a classic setup of firm and growing demand with a notable concern for who supplies that demand and at what price. Uh, the firm demand is coming from about what? 440 operating reactors who are consuming the fuel and will be consuming the fuel for decades to come. The growing demand uh, is new conventional reactors that are being brought online in the coming years, of which a handful of these reactors are coming online each year going forward as they're constructed. Then we have the further growth in demand via the small modular reactors, which in simple terms is taking long-standing small reactors from military naval applications like submarines, aircraft carriers, and battleships, and putting them into an on-land commercial application so they can deliver electricity that way. Existing demand for uranium today is about, about 200 million pounds per year, give or take the annual specific events and changes in the fuel cycle. But on the supply side, with primary mine production, along with secondary supply, pegged at about 135 million pounds, remaining steady or quite close to this figure during 2023. But that gives us roughly a 65 million deficit per year. We've been running in a deficit for years, and that deficit is expected to continue and grow as time goes on. And you know, adding to this problem, some of the primary production centers are projected to be depleted and closed within the next seven to 10 years. That amplifies the problem 
of needing new production centers to replace these mine depletions and the closures. And because of historical draining prices, there hasn't been a lot of capital going into finding new mines and, and new deposits to replace those things. So at the end of the day, the uranium price must rise and you know, to the incentive price of the global marginal producing price point, which after price escalations is a firm 70 to $80 plus per pound. Now, without the marginal producer being incentivized, which means a suitable price point for a suitable period of time with suitable contracts, the backstop, uh, the capital expenditure, uh, the bank financing, et cetera, there won't be enough production centers online to meet the demands of global utilities going forward. Jason, that's a pretty good synopsis. I appreciate that. And, you know, one of the things that I think people are going to have issue with at this point is why haven't the equities moved? Why haven't the equities responded? in light of all these impressive, great fundamentals that have just been stacking up in favor of prices to go higher. So, you know, talk a little bit more about this and finish up on what your thoughts are here. Well, why hasn't the price of uranium price moved more than it has in the, in the past? We've seen it kind of just channel for the last seven months between $48 and $53. Uh, it's in the context of, well, you know, that $18 per pound in 2016 to around, what, 57 today, or over a longer period that most people don't really care or just enough to stick around for. You know, the, uh, the price of uranium is always stubbornly the last to move against its fuel cycle friends. The price of conversion, that's taking uranium concentrate and converting it to a gas, UF6, and the, the price of enrichment as measured in separative work units, or SWU, as they say. Now, capacity troubles in the fuel cycle and improved utilization of existing capacity has notably improved prices for conversion. And that's gone from about I don't know, $5 in 2016 to $40 today, and the, the separate work units from about $40 in 2016 to around $130 today. But even with these price movements, fuel service providers are reluctant to capitalize on new productive capacity, which remains a bottleneck will continue to improve prices, which will result in further pressure on the final input, which is uranium. And uranium is the last component in the fuel cycle to move higher only after the down the food chain process that occurs in fuel cycle services. So to wrap this up for you and your audience, Andrew, we're in a term contracting cycle that will demand more pounds than can be supplied. The uranium price will move higher to incentivize new product development, and you know, the majors alone, that Cameco, Kazat and Brom, others like Orano and Uranium One, among others, they don't have the ability to fill this market. The next tier of juniors must be tapped. And the lead times are beyond the decade of, of, for many of them. This environment encourages new capital to go towards exploration and potential new discoveries as the cycle progresses and is capitalized. And this is why we're taking the risk with uranium to contribute towards meaningful exploration in a proven uranium-producing country such as Namibia. And we are optimistic about potential discovery on our exploration grounds. I appreciate that final piece there, and I think that that is so important that exploration eventually, you know, there's a lot of capital that gets wasted in exploration, but eventually uh, some of that capital is put to good use, mm -hmm. which puts more pounds that are economically viable potentially in the ground for future extraction as we continue to consume through the existing fleet. 
and also a thank you for sparing me uh, because so many people hammer on this, but sparing me the broad commercial nuclear narrative, which so many people in this sector rely upon way too much. Uh, how about Jason, the company Puranium here? Why don't you just give us a brief take on the company, the focus and the projects? I'd love to, Andrew, thanks. Um, well, our exploration land packages consists of about seven exclusive prospecting licenses or, or EPLs as the government of Namibia terms in that. Uh, it's, and we have about 93,000 hectares, of which a lot of our grounds are adjacent to uh, operating mines and, and big discoveries. We have uh, a couple of EPLs over by Paladins Lane or Heinrich. We encompass forces uh, Valencia deposit, making up their Narasa project. And uh, we are also uh, very close to China General Nuclear Power Group's HUSAB mine. Our project focus right now is actually seeking out the same deposit types as Paladins, Langer, Heinrich, and Deep Yellow's Tumas and Tumas. Now, and that's all pretty much paleo channel, calcrete type uranium deposits. Now, these are low grade deposits that are near surface, but within about 100 meters of depth. They're large, though, and they provide scale. Now, it's no secret that these deposits have a higher cost profile over, say, uh, for example, an in-situ recovery project like what you see in the U.S. or high-grade underground projects like what you see in Canada's Athabasca Basin. But these deposits in Namibia are large, and you know, they're marginal. They provide leverage to the uranium price with scale. But best of all, they're proven deposit types that have been successfully permitted, built, and mined in Namibia. Now, so our projects aren't not, they're not exotic. They don't require any special treatment or anything. They are within the uranium producing and Rongo region of Namibia. And we are amongst current producing operations, which means our chance of exploration success is better. There's another type of uranium deposit in Namibia, the, uh, the hard rock deposits, like the brazing deposit, what's uh, known as ascalite. And it's all in mo mostly leucogranites, that kind of harder rock. These deposits are deeper, more expensive to drill out, but they're also proven producing deposits, like the Brazing Uranium Mine, which is the world's longest operating uranium mine, producing for over 47 years. You know, the, the comments, you know, it, it's always best to, if you can, with an exploration company, establish properties and exploration grounds that are near existing operations. I, that's, that's a logical that's cool. place to start. It absolutely makes sense. Why don't we move on here, you know, as this is an introduction chat, and of course we're trying to keep uh, the time limitations. On the G&A side, why don't you cover this for us and also just the capital structure of the company? Certainly. Well, on our capital structure, we like to uh, keep things pretty tight. We have about 18 and a half million shares outstanding. And when you factor in options and warrants fully diluted, we have just under 25 million shares. As CEO of the company, I'm, I currently don't take cash pay. As we know, you know, the company is small and we're trying to be as efficient as possible with most of our capital going into the work on the ground so that we can you know, hopefully discover an economically viable uranium resource of some sort. And our G&A costs run about, about 30000 per month currently. Now, I do plan on taking a modest salary as the company grows. When you look at you know who makes up the, the share structure, the management board of directors, advisors, insiders of the company, they own about 47% with the remaining in the public float. 
we have support of the high net worth and some small institutional investors and brokers. And I have a vested interest in the success of peering in through my contract and the corporate options plan. So, but my options are priced much higher than the current market price, which is used to incentivize myself for performance and hitting certain milestones and deliver on the company specific goals. So we, we have a very tight capital structure and a small amount of warrants outstanding and an incentivized and aligned management team. And I believe we are set up well for price appreciation as we deliver on our strategy project-specific goals, and potential for discovery. Thank you for that. Um, just on people, you had mentioned, you know, management, board of directors, et cetera. Talk about people at the company. Cover this off and any key folks you'd like to mention. Certainly. Yeah, because we have a very well-respected technical team. They have many years of experience in Namibia. Uh, first off is Dwayne Parnham, who is uh, the founder of Forces Metals, actively involved with the company. Uh, from 2004 to 2010, and he found the Valencia deposit, and you know he was a big driver of that company, and he went took this thing from a $45,000 startup to a $860 million market cap, and um, that's in Canadian dollars. Our other member of the technical team is Dr. Roger Lane, who Dwayne actually hired him at Forces and immediately found pretty much the Namibplast deposit which makes it, those two deposits make up the Narissa project for Forces Metals. Uh, Roger, who's, he's been out there for quite some time. He worked on the Tracopi project. Uh, I guess the main thing is that both these gentlemen have been out in Namibia for a lot of many years. They have a lot of experience out there. They know the area, they know the players. And our, our geologist, our lead geologist, Mary Barton, uh, she's worked and lived in Namibia all her life. And she's our boots on the ground geologist, and she she actually studied under under Dr. Roger Lane. And we also have a, another country team member who's a local Namibian uh, named King Friends in Dongo, and he's our Namibian partner, and he looks after a lot of the uh, the community and government relations. Very well, that's good, and it seems like there's a fair bit of people there on the ground, which is always very important to deliver on those goals. You know, in Absolutely. country, and that's that's a key thing. A lot of these companies often, as you know, whether you're in Vancouver or Toronto, a lot of them tend to uh, try to armchair everything in their remote position and never have any expertise on the ground. So I appreciate you backfilling a bit of this with the local folks on the ground. And it sounds like you've got pretty much a lot of those angles covered. Just briefly on the projects, maybe just talk about maybe that core project briefly and then just the plans for the company at that project level and what you'd expect to say accomplish over the next year or so. Right now, we're, Andrew, we're focusing on two uh, exclusive prospecting licenses that are about 15 kilometers east of Halgenslanger Heinrich. And that, that's the, the properties that lie within the Paleo Channel structure of the Paladin resides in, and as well as Deep Yellow and, and Elevate Uranium. Uh, so there has been some historical work done on those properties. Uh, it's very old. It's, uh, it's hard to find some of that information with, with the ministry. But uh, what we're looking to do, uh, we, we have done a remote sensing program that have pretty much shown us about 30 targets to go after, to take a look at. So our next steps is really to do some groundwork, truthing those 30 potential targets, you know, including walking the ground with synchrometers. Uh, we want to find out where, you know, where the best places is to drill for those. We're going to try and probe some of the historical drill holes as we can find them. So we can see uh, and improve up what those readings were from the, from the historical side. 
we'll probably do some trench and surface sampling surveys to establish the drill targets as well. But ultimately, what we want to do is define a drill program uh, to figure out what the potential resource is, step it out, and create the 43101 on the property. This is very early stage, and I think this is, you know, this is some of the compelling nature of this. This is just early stage and very, very simple work at this point and really low cost to advance this. And then, of course, that drill program to really test those targets after you guys optimize what targets those will be. I think that'll be important to get this progressed. I appreciate that information. Um, so there is another pure play exploration company in Namibia. And in this category, I'll just say the companies that don't already have a discovery would fit into this category. So you have Puranium, and then, of course, you have uh, another company called Madison Metals that fit into yes. this mold. What is the association with Madison, and how do you look at this? With respect to Madison Metals, the founders of Madison Metals make up our technical team, which is Dwayne Parnum and, and Dr. Roger Lane. Um, you know, they have, like I mentioned before, they have an extensive amount of experience in Namibia. However, Madison is kind of doing their own thing, and we, we respect their work on their exploration and their efforts to bring technology into the sector, to bring in a different audience, so to speak. But we're looking to take the more traditional and, if you will, conventional approach to a pure play uranium exploration work. And that's what we want to do. We want to keep things simple and just go out there and drill the ground and find the resource. How about government, community, and partner relations in Namibia, Jason? Why don't you just cover this off? Because this obviously is an important piece of any company. Just talk about those relationships with the government community and any partners you'd like to mention. We, we did touch on it a bit earlier, uh, but I think it goes to say the real tip of the hat to King Franz and Dongo, who's he's our Namibian local partner. He owns 15% of the projects, and he's pretty much our guy that goes to the Ministry of Mines and Energy to help, you know, get things pushed along. Uh, he helps with all the, the renewals of, of the EPLs and a lot of the work that's been going on. You know, our team has a lot of experience in, in Namibia, and that's dating back to the last uranium cycle. So we work well with the government. We know them. We understand the permitting process and the regulations. And King and Franz is, is actually uh, heading up a lot of that. So he gets the he understands the government, the process there and everything else. So he's our, our, our go to guy to help bring these things through. Now, well, on the community side, you know, as, as you're, you're aware, you know, we're a very small company and we, we can't do as much as we like in terms of uh, community efforts. And can we get a bit bigger? But, you know, first thing we we want to do is we want to you know take a look at, you know, launching a, you know, uh, anything that we can do to support local schools, like through a lunch program you know, where we fund school lunches for the entire year, that kind of thing. We do want to get back to the communities because that's where we're going to be working in. And we want to get back to the country as well. I think it's important, obviously, in proportion to the size of the company and the stage of the company to make sure yeah, that those it's, things. That's a little further out from where we are right now, but we we definitely do take that into account. That's great. Jason, just talk about also here, um, you know, this is a company that a lot of folks probably aren't aware of, but talk about the efforts to increase overall company awareness and also listing exposure. Um, I understand that an OTC listing is coming for the company, but also that maybe TSXV is on the radar in the future. And of course, as the cycle progresses and the company grows, just talk about some of those activities, listing upgrades, and also uh, just overall efforts to increase company awareness going forward as the cycle moves. 
and as the company grows, we will be actively discussing our company and with our efforts and on multiple platforms in the coming months. As the cycle progresses, we do intend to seek upgrades to from the CSE to the TSXB. And, and as you mentioned, we'll definitely be uh, completing the listing on the OTC platform to gain exposure in the United States. Just to wrap up here, Jason, and I just want to also include the opportunity there. You know, we always like to check in with our guests about potential financing plans in the future. Mm -hmm. What you can tell us about that, and is there a way for potential investors to contact you and get on a list? But also, just to wrap up, for potential investors who are listening in, Puranium Energy has a market capitalization of about 1.6 million Canadian. What do you say to investors who are considering the prospects of this company as part of their junior uranium exposure? That's a good point, Andrew, because you know a company our size will be looking towards doing a financing to continue our ex exploration efforts out there. And when you take a look at us in regards to our peers that are out there, we're in amongst a group of companies that are in development mode. There's only, as you mentioned, there's only two exploration companies out there, us being one of them. And our market capitalization is a drop, drop in the bucket compared to our peers. So we find that uh, you know, we're we're the ones going out there looking for it. Everybody else has found uranium. And so that makes us very optimistic. And but we will need money going forward to carry out our exploration programs. I urge your clients or anybody who might be listening to this to take a look at our company. You know, the projects, the team, uh, the capital structure, it's all very attractive as well as our current share price. Being capitalized by the market with a two million dollar Canadian market cap, if you have considered what I've said and our understanding of this market. Uranium makes a lot of sense. Now, if you're one that understands our exploration proposition on the back of the tailwinds of this upcoming uranium bull cycle. So I would say if anybody is interested in taking a look at what we're doing or wants to participate in future financings, please contact us if you have an interest. Our phone number is 416-306-8446. And you can also get in touch with us through email, which is investors at puraniumenergy.com. Jason, appreciate that. Uh, well, look, I appreciate you taking the time here for this introduction of the company and looking forward to monitoring what occurs here and best of luck in the coming months. Thank you. Thank you very much, Andrew. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today.